So welcome. Now I'm just going to turn to the Bible in a moment. If you have a Bible, you can turn to Luke 19. Uh, you can put that, that up. We'll be looking at this section in Luke 19. Famous story. I began looking at it last week. And I just want to say to you, though, welcome here. If you're visiting today, you're so warmly welcome. You, wherever Christians gather is God's house, and God likes, wants his house full. Isn't that good? And actually, he's acting in all of creation to make his house full. And so he's calling people. He's calling people from every corner. He's calling uh, when he passed through Jericho, which is what this story is about. He got with a blind guy who must have been very poor and he called him into his house. And then in the story we're re- reading today that we also looked at last week, he got with a rich guy and he called the rich guy into his house as well. And he called women and he called children and he called uh, all kinds of people because and in the 2,000 years since, uh, we found that he's called Jaginder and Sadarshan to follow him. And he's called each of us to follow him. You may not be following, he, following him yet, but he has called you to follow him. And, you know, if you knew what God has in mind for you, you'd never be jealous of anyone else. Yes. You know? If you knew what God had in mind for you, you'd never be jealous of anyone else. So, you know, it's a brave decision to come to anybody's home, and especially maybe a brave decision to come into God's home, because uh, God wants us in his home because he has a divine design for our (coughs) lives. And that's what Zacchaeus discovers in this story. Now, he wanted to look at Jesus, but perhaps remain hidden from Jesus' view. He hoped for one-way vision. He wanted that kind of mirror glass that you can get, you know, where you can see through the mirror, but the person on the other side just sees the mirror. And, um, and he was hoping to look at Jesus but be unseen himself. Now, last week we discussed about how Jericho was a very wealthy place. We'll, we'll skip that. Jesus was on his way up to the festival in Jerusalem. He, he, Jesus knew he was going to be arrested and tried and crucified at that festival. You could just pop the map up. Um, and, and so you can see he's, we're, we're in Jericho and it's quite near to Jerusalem. It's about 15 miles away. And so it's coming, it's just in the last, I don't know, few days before Jesus arrived in Jerusalem and the last week or two before he was uh, arrested and then crucified. So we'll read from Luke chapter 19. You can either look it up in, in a Bible or on your phone or it will come up on the screen here. So Jesus entered Jericho and was passing through. And a man was there by the name of Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector and was wealthy. He wanted to see who Jesus was, but because he was short, he could not see over the crowd. So he ran ahead and climbed a sycamore fig tree to see him since Jesus was coming that way. When Jesus reached the spot, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, come down immediately. I must stay at your house today. What great words for anyone to hear God say to them, right? I must stay at your house today. Verse 6, so Zacchaeus came down at once and welcomed him gladly. What a great example. Uh, He welcomed him gladly. We have choices in life. We have a choice today. Will we welcome him gladly? Please do. Verse 7, all the people saw this and began to grumble, to mutter, he's gone to be the guest of a sinner. But Zacchaeus stood up and said to the Lord, look, Lord, Here and now, I give half of my possessions to the poor, and if I've cheated anybody out of anything, I will pay back four times the amount. And Jesus said to him, Today, salvation has come to this house, because this man too is a son of Abraham. For the Son of Man has come to seek and to save the lost. 
Say that with me, that last phrase. For the Son of Man has come to seek and save the lost. Jesus Christ came because he knew the Father had divine designs for people and he came looking for those who were ready to welcome that, design, that divine design into their lives. So if we just recap um, quickly, uh, the, uh, just from last week, Zacchaeus was wealthy but no doubt very isolated because he was in effect a collaborator. He, would have been, he was small, so we can tend to look back uh, as, uh, at Zacchaeus as a rather a vulnerable person, but we need to recognise he was clever enough to have bid to, to win the contract to take up tax in one of the, in possibly the richest area of uh, Roman Judea and all that surrounding areas. We talked about last week, um, this, this was an area around Jericho. Josephus said it was the fattest place in Palestine. It was, it was a hugely wealthy place. They grew dates. There was a lovely, there was a spring there, so it was an oasis, and uh, there was a lot of export trade the Romans developed. So it was a very wealthy place. And he was sharp enough, and I, and I believe you don't win contracts like that in that culture without being rather tough-minded, without being uh, ready and willing to be aggressive and to go after it. And then once you've got it, you've actually got to be a very aggressive, probably quite unpleasant person to uh, make sure you get enough tax out of those people to, to be able to pay the Romans what you said you'd pay them every year and also make a fat profit for yourself. So we're talking about an individual not unwilling to be unpleasant, to be quite cruel, to be determined, uh, a, a very, an alpha male if you like, and somebody very hard-hearted to pick up on what we're, Duncan was praying earlier. A man with a very hard heart, because you have to be a hard heart to screw tax out of poor people, never mind their children or their their, their, their whatever afflictions may, they may be experiencing. So we have here this, this individual. And yet this individual was keen to see Jesus, who he is, as we discussed last week, verse 3. He wanted to see who Jesus was. If you could follow me, Adam, that's verse 3. He wanted to see who Jesus was. He, want, he was seeking to see Jesus, who he is. And we asked the question last week, why would Zacchaeus, a hated tax collector, be interested in seeing Jesus? And there can be only one explanation, that he had heard the stories about what, how Jesus related to tax collectors. Uh, he, he must have heard people complaining, because they did. They complained about Jesus that he was a friend of tax collectors and sinners. Right? The other people in the whole, where Jesus went, they complained about Jesus. And he must have heard them muttering and complaining uh, near his tax office or wherever, wherever it was when he was around Jericho. He must have heard people complaining. Have you heard about that Jesus? He eats with tax collectors. So he'd heard those complaints, but that had stirred something in his heart. That's interesting. A guy who likes tax collectors, someone like me, who's normally rejected and ignored by people. He must have heard that in other places, tax collectors had been welcomed by and had even eaten with Jesus, because there's other records in, in the Gospel accounts of Jesus eating with tax collectors. That, that was a massive thing, because basically you're eating with the enemy. To be, for a Jew, they, the, the collaborators were rejected. They were regarded as defiled, and so to eat with them was to be de become defiled yourself. So here was a rabbi willing to eat with a tax collector and to become defiled religiously by doing that. And so he's wondering, I wonder, would, would he even eat with me? He's wondering that. Here's a very unusual person that I've heard about 
who actually is positive. And then perhaps he'd heard also that Jesus had been baptizing tax collectors. Right? That's we're told that in the, uh, elsewhere in the Gospels. Jesus was actually ba- he was including them in his house. He was welcoming them into his house. And then lastly, he might have even heard that Jesus had told a story in which a tax collector was the hero. Right? You can read that just in Luke chapter 18. It's just happened shortly before. Jesus had told a story in which a tax collector was the hero. And maybe this had piqued his interest. He was curious. He, his life, yeah, he had loads of money, but people didn't like him. And something happened. There was a softening of the heart that took place, like Duncan prayed earlier. We're hard-hearted people, and God does something to soften the heart. And some, God had done something in Zacchaeus, hearing those stories to soften his heart. Now, friends, stories still soften hearts today, right? And, and so I want to take a diversion here, because this week as we gathered, <clears throat> uh, twice a month we're gathering here, br- bringing our small groups here, because we want to engage with some material and some it, good material from Alan Scott, from, who leads a church up in Northern Ireland. But we were thinking very much about, okay, storytelling, how does that work? It can have such a powerful impact. How can we release storytelling better in and through the church. Now, you, of course, what Zacchaeus would have come across would have been people's individual storytelling that took place. We can only take action and take steps to influence storytelling that happens on a Sunday morning or in our small groups. And I want to say we want there to be space for these stories. We want to get the word out of the good things God is doing. It's wonderful that in this account... Uh, the Holy Spirit used people's complaining to get the story out. Isn't that amazing? You know, God hates complaining, but he will even use our complaining to get the good news out. And so, such is the grace of our God, such is this lavish love that he has. And so, as we talked, I, I want to try and frame, we had three meetings during the week, and I tried to, we, we were putting, writing down, and I'm trying to capture it here. So, I've got methods, skills, and attitudes. There's an, there are overheads about this later on, actually. So in terms of methods, we kind of thought it was good to make space to tell stories about what God has been doing. Okay? So we think that's good. Do you, do you agree? Because there was only a certain number of people came to the meetings. We have these meetings. We make plans. Sometimes I get complaints. Oh, we never heard about this. And, and so, well, we had meetings where we made that plan. They were open meetings. So I want, I'm sharing this now to say let's all agree about this. Can we agree it's a good thing to tell stories when we gather Right Now you might say, well, we don't need to. Yes, we do need to, because we need to tell stories. We need to hear the story about what happened in India. Right? The, there was something frightening about that, but there was also something of God's protection in it. Right? We need to hear stories, as, as, as Jogenda and Sudarshan, and we were hearing those stories. These are important things, okay? So we want to tell stories. And so how about on Sunday? How about this? Can we s- s- settle this, that we would like every Sunday to have two or three people share some account of what God has been doing? What do you think about that? Do you think we could manage that? And I know this happens some Sundays, but, you know, it'd be good to try and push it to happen more often. And the thing is, it's going to have to take a united effort, a kind of let's all get in this, let's link hands, let's all jump together. Do you reckon we can manage that? I I need to know whether you're really up for this. Yeah, yeah, okay. So, and then in Connect Group, you know, that it's good, isn't it? It's to, to ask the question, what has God been doing? And, and we need them to bring it out, what God has been doing. And then I think we want to agree to encourage others to retell their stories of what God has been doing, because a lot of us are very shy, isn't that true? 
And so, and we tell somebody when we're having coffee with them or on the bus or whatever it is or chatting after church, but actually um, we want to encourage, we want to say to one another, would you give other people permission to encourage you to tell that story again in your small group or even on Sunday? Do, do you think that could happen? Yeah. Right? And we, we can hold your hand or whatever. We could put a screen up and you could tell the story behind the screen. <laughs> I don't, I don't know, do, do you understand? Not really, but I mean, I'm just trying to think, how do we do this, okay? So, and, you know, we, we, well, I think we need to agree this. It's okay to retell stories of what God is doing. You know, we often, retell, we often rehearse our complaints of the things God hasn't done a lot, right? Funny how we forget to retell the stories of what he has done, okay? Psalm 103, remember and forget not all his benefits. We're supposed to be the people retelling the stories. And, and you might say, oh, Andrew's telling that story again, or something. You, you know, like, like, like that uncle who always tells that same story every Christmas or whatever. But you know, so these things can be really important. So let's, let's actually stop our, our being closed down about that and, and, have, and be welcome. And let's, and let's uh, uh, you know, let's... Let, for years we've rented a building to meet in. You can never leave any permanent signage on the wall. But we can here, can't we? Yes. So I suddenly thought, hey, well, let's, let's maybe put some boards up on the wall over there, for example, and, and, and get some stories. You know, some people could write up their story and then we pin it up there. That'd be good, wouldn't it? So then some skills, right? I'm sure there's skills that we could we'd learn you know, we, we could learn to be clear in what we say. I'm sure we could improve in that. But you know you only improve by doing it. Yeah? And so we cut slack for one another in doing that. Do you agree? And uh, we let people grow, and that's okay. And then it's... it's I, I hope these words make sense. But I think we want to try and choose stories that are transferable and relatable as much as we can. You, okay? So that story where somebody else thinks, goodness, I could do that. Or you, do you understand where there's some... Uh, so I know when it's some, a story of what God's done we can't do that do, do you understand but the, the, the transferable bit <laughs> the transferable bit is being in the position where you opened the door for God to do what God did do, 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 you know, or you got in the way of what God was doing but you managed just to get out of the way at the right time so he could actually get, get on and do what he because don't you find you're in the way quite often I do. And in this story, there was a load of people in the way, actually. There was a lot of people in the way of Zacchaeus meeting with Jesus. <laughs> and we can often be in the way. And we need to find out how to get out of the way so God can do what he wanted, wants to do. And, um, and, then, uh, and I think, you know, it says in Scripture about let two or three prophets speak, right? You know, there's something helpful about that. If 25 prophecies are given, you, don't, you can't remember any of them. Do you, yeah? Whereas if two or three things are said, then it, then it has an impact. So, you know, less is more sometimes. And then, and then the attitudes, which I think are important to this. Can we have the next slide, Adam? So, yeah, I think this needs, this, these are a couple of our values, actually. Be brave, right? It's, it's, it's sometimes, isn't it said, there was a rule in the US military, don't ask, don't tell, or something like that. Well, well we, we, let, why don't we have an opposite rule? Do ask and do tell, right? <laughs> right, so, so we, get, we get the stuff out there. It takes courage. You know, when the Sunday meeting hosts, like Felix is hosting today, if they say, okay, are there two or three people who could tell us something of what God has done? 
they are put, they're walking out on a limb at that moment, all right? It's, it takes some courage to do that. You could, it takes courage to do it in a small group. It takes courage to do it every week. And we can either feel we're in a team together and we're 100% behind Felix or Stephanie or whoever it is, yeah? Kavitha, whoever it is who's hosting. And we're gunning for this. Or we can take the position of we're sitting back and seeing, watching these people <laughs> fall. Smack on their face. So we... Now, I know you'd never probably say it like that, but sometimes actually, you know, that's that sense. Are you, do you sit on the outside, as it were, or are you part of that team saying, yeah, we're going, we're going after this? And that is the invitation to us, to be brave. To be brave to ask for the stories and then to be brave to tell the stories of what God's been doing. And then to pick up on what's already been said earlier with respect to our dear friends... Uh, Joe and Sandy, who who are just absolutely reliable people, absolutely unflappable people, who just turn up and serve amazingly, and uh, and are so loving towards other people. But um, to honour people, you know, we we propose it was proposed. We we applaud people when they tell tell stories. When we should applaud people more. Actually, I really believe that. And I think those churches that are pressing on and being open-hearted towards God are those that applaud and. You know, I know we can say, oh, you know, we could be taking glory from God. But I thought, Pradeep, you're very wise in what you said earlier. It doesn't take glory from God. He made us. When Gideon and his army stood up, they were to shout, for the Lord and for Gideon, right? He was included in that, and that's, that's important. Now, of course, we mustn't serve to get applause. There's something very distorted about that, right? We mustn't serve to get applause. And... Uh, but, so, uh, but, but we should be very free in giving our applause. And so let's be generous in uh, honouring one another and, uh, and love that and be very happy about that. And, you know, it's not a... It's, again, this is not a reciprocal thing. We were reminded earlier that Jesus' love for us is not reciprocal. Isn't that good? It's so outrageous. And similarly, honouring needs to be outrageous. There isn't some kind of... Excel file that's kept somewhere so that we make sure equal amounts of honouring are done as, as exactly deserved. Do you, do you, yes? Do you understand? It's very hard to do that, isn't it? We just want to be very, very free. And, you know, I find in my own experience, just, just being very direct here, as I've tried to do this, I do find when, when I do some kind of honouring type of stuff and talk, speak up and really value somebody... Within a few days, often I get some comeback about how I should also have honoured X and Y and Z. And to, that has a chilling effect to be, because it makes you think, OK, I better not do any, because unless I do everything, I can't do anything, uh, it seems. And I think we have to kind of work with this and understand, OK, if we're going to do honouring, it, 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 can't, it can't be everyone, because we'd be here for three hours and nothing else could be done. Do, do, so it needs to be permitted that we can honour some and then move along. And, uh, and we trust the Holy Spirit in all of that. Because just, just to go back to that phrase I said earlier, if you knew what God has in mind for you, you would never be jealous of anyone else. And therefore we don't need to worry when, uh, when other people are being praised. Now I, now I know we don't need to worry. Of course, we can get annoyed about these things. I remember when I had a proper job many years ago... Um, and two guys who'd been hired after me got made manager. 
And it took me about three days to get over this because I was so mad about it. And, you, you know, these things can get to us and we need to let the Holy Spirit help us deal with those things. And um, so, uh, yes, it, it was suggested as well at our meetings that we thank people after the meeting for sharing stories and, and stuff like that. And, and that we really need to be careful not to be judgmental about stories because it's so easy to feel, oh, they took far too long to say that. Or, you know, we can be heaps of negative and... Um, you know, there can even be muttering sort of thing. That's, not, that's out of order, isn't it? Would you agree? That, that's really out of order. I mean, the muttering here in the story is not something that's a good example. Would you agree? And, uh, and I think we need to good-hearted, generous-heartedness in these matters. So getting back to Zacchaeus, though, but uh, just to say, let's really go after those things, okay? We, we want to press forward in those things. So uh, uh, here's Zacchaeus wondering maybe something about him, a hard man, but he's heard these stories and something softened in his heart and he's thinking, I don't really like my life, actually. I don't really like my life. And I'm just wondering, because I've heard about this Jesus, is there hope for me? Is there hope for me? But he can't see Jesus because of the crowd. We talked about this last week. Gets up the tree. We won't go visit that again. And, but the next thing you know... Um, Zacchaeus and Jesus are face to face. Right? We discussed how we got there last week. Now, what we need to ask the question, what would any good rabbi say to this known collaborator? Right? The crowd is there. Uh, there's Jesus and Zacchaeus on the road. crowd is all around, and th- they know what the rabbi should be saying to this collaborator. What he should be saying is, Zacchaeus, you the collaborator. Shame on you for oppressing this town for so long. For too long you've drained the economy of this town to enrich the Romans. You've, you've, um, you've, you know, you've impoverished children and widows and orphans. You're a dishonour to your parents. Quit your job and come up to Jerusalem to, the, to the, uh, uh, the festival to purify yourself at the temple and then return to Jericho and lead a reformed life. And if you, could cons- if you can kind of make it through this and then maybe you could be restored in this town and recognised again as a son of Abraham. Right? Isn't that what he should get us? I didn't do it very convincingly, but it should be quite a kind of telling off, don't you think? I mean, that's what the crowd will be expecting. At last, the rabbis met that good-for-nothing, face-to-face. He won't be able to avoid being told what for now. And, and what happens, right? That's what Jesus should have said, according to the crowd, But what did he say? Well, you know, the Holy Spirit gave Jesus a divine awareness that there was a man in the tree. And and just the Holy Spirit made him aware. He's called Zacchaeus, 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 Zacchaeus. So so Jesus is kind of aware. Okay, Father, you've got a divine design for a man up in this tree who had a hard heart, but it's been softened. And, And so Jesus suddenly says something completely different. He chose to build a bridge rather than to put up a barrier. He chose to build a bridge rather than to put up a barrier. And actually that's our choice every day with people we meet. And um, so he says, Zacchaeus, come down immediately. I must stay at your house today. Now this is completely the opposite of what the crowd would have wanted. That's why they go so mad. They're muttering. They are absolutely outraged. You see, from Jesus' point of view, Jesus overcame every obstacle to welcome Zacchaeus in this way. 
You know, when Jesus healed Bartimaeus, the crowd were pretty much against that as well. Um, he was oppressed, one of the oppressed people. Now Jesus is inviting himself to Zacchaeus' home. Zacchaeus one of the oppressors, right? It's all very well to change your mind about that dirty, oppressed, blind guy, which the crowd also were dismissing. But once, G- once they realised Jesus was, was up for healing Bartimaeus, suddenly they were all happy about that. But they are not at all happy about Jesus engaging with this oppressor, uh, uh, Zacchaeus. And uh, now I don't believe Jesus was endorsing that oppression. As you see how the story turns out, Zacchaeus realised he was not being endorsed in the way he lived, right? Um, but Jesus didn't ostracise him. And uh, he, he honoured Zacchaeus and he loved him with this kind of outrageous love we were hearing about earlier. Because to, to, in, to go to his house was to honour him. It was incredibly honouring to him. And, you know, kingdom work is about calling out the divine design in other people, even the people that other people don't like. Right? It's, it includes everyone. So this missional life that Jesus uh, uh, kind of gives to us is a, is a life of drawing out the divine design in other people, whoever they may be. And honour, Alan Scott says, honour is the choice to magnify another person's worth above their weakness. Honour is the choice to magnify another person's worth above their weakness, and this attracts the glory of God. We want to be those who attract the presence of God, who attract the mercy of God, because his heart is kind, as we sang in the song, and his love is tender. Now, a few years ago, Elspeth and I were privileged to spend a week in Florence, and uh, Um, when I came back, I said, in all my life up to that time, I'd never seen so many topless women and naked men. Um, Granted, they were statues. um, Now, the sculptor Michelangelo worked in Florence, and so one of his most famous sculptures, which is the statue of of David, this is the, it's a biblical, it was a biblical commission to, I'm sorry, it's full frontal male nudity to... Do avert your eyes. Um, but it is a fantastic piece. Now, there are various quotes attributed to Michelangelo. I think it's quite difficult to tell whether he really said them or somebody later on invented them. Um, but, he, but apparently he said this, Many people believe, and I believe, that I have been designated for this work by God. In spite of my old age, I do not want to give it up. I work out of love for God, and I put all my hope in him. I don't know where he stood in faith, but somebody... Um, and then about his sculpting, he said, carving is easy, you just go down to the skin and stop. <laughs> I think my efforts would pr- disprove that, but anyway. And then various quotes like this one, every block of stone has a statue inside it, and it is the task of the sculptor to discover it. Now, I don't know whether Michelangelo said that, but I believe that is the heart of God. Right? We, we, we are like blocks of stone, we're hard-hearted um, uh, abrasive, difficult uh, p- pieces of material and Father has a divine design and he starts working and there's quite a little bit of stuff to get removed but once it's removed something incredibly wonderful can be revealed and this is the way Father works with us so that he builds bridges so that he can start to work and to chip away and, uh, because he has a divine design for us And, you know, we have the opportunity. That's what Jesus was doing with Zacchaeus. Jesus looked through the collaborator 
to a man whose heart was getting soft and he saw the divine design that could be brought to bear, that there was something that the Holy Spirit helped Jesus because, you know, Jesus walked the earth as a man in the power of the Holy Spirit. So I believe he was very much like us. I know he was the Son of God, but I believe... We, I can't, not, don't, not prepared to explain fully why I would believe this, but I think he walked as in his hu- earthly ministry like us as a human being empowered by the Holy Spirit. And so he was enabled by the Holy Spirit to think this man is actually ready. He's soft-hearted. He looks hard, but actually he's soft-hearted because no doubt he picked up as soon as Zacchaeus was identified, the crowd would have gone, blah, blah, Zacchaeus, blah. So Jesus, this is how Jesus knew, oh, okay, this guy's not liked. Um, and immediately you're under pressure then, aren't you? Right? The rest of the crowd don't like this. What am I going to do? They are hostile towards him. Will I step and identify with him or will I not? Jesus was on the spot at that moment. And and that takes great courage because it's not nice to be disliked. I mean, you, this is part of the emotion for Adriana and Stephanie from their experience in India to feel that you are the wrong side of, of the law, that people wanted to arrest you, that you were going to be arraigned, you were going to be charged, that this is a most unpleasant kind of experience to be on the end of, of, of kind of uh, um, aggressive um, a, a attack in that way is most unpleasant experience. Would Jesus... Uh, identify or not with this man and you know we have the choice in these situations now tomorrow night is what it's Halloween and you know for many years we used to give out leaflets so you could put them up in the door to say no trick-or-treating and all the rest and if 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 you're elderly or single person living on your own that might be a wise thing to do but I think on the whole, I've wanted to take a more positive. I felt the Holy Spirit say, no, why don't you take a more positive approach to this? You know, what, because it actually it was a Christian festival in the original. It's all Hallows evening. Hallows means hallow. It's like holy ones. It means all saints. It was a celebration of saints who've been gone before us. And um, so anyway, these days I say, I say to Elspeth, and she even reminded me this year, let's buy some sweets in so if anyone comes around, we can give them some sweets. And then I've got something else to recommend to you. We've got a pile of books here by J. John, great evangelist. Many of you might have heard of him. He was speaking at an event in Shepparton uh, a while, just earlier, was it this year, I think he came to speak. Um, I've got a pile of these books. I've got, uh, I've got two piles there. I have two more piles if we run out. How about you take one of these away, and if you can't give it away tomorrow night when someone comes to trick or treat, you could give it away at another time. Is that, is that a deal? So it's available. So if you feel safe about that and you have faith, then you can answer the door, give more sweets than any of the other neighbours, give them a book and say, thank God that he sent Jesus and defeated evil for good and all, hey? or something like that, just to tell people, because that's, that's the truth, isn't it? That is the truth. So I just give that to you as an opportunity um, and a thought. So it's building a bridge instead of putting up a barrier, Yes. Uh, with our neighbours and, and their, their, their families. So Jesus had a choice at that point to build a barrier or to build a bridge. The crowd all going, <laughs> grumbling, muttering. And Jesus has a choice. Will he cross the picket line and identify with the collaborator? Because in his spirit he knows this guy is ready to respond to the divine design that the Father has for him. The crowd cannot see that. Do you, do you, see, do you understand that? The crowd cannot see that. Jesus can. 
Now, this is the place we can find ourselves, where we see, actually, there's something of God's divine design. It's an unsatisfactory situation because people are messy, aren't they? The fact is, I can think, oh, everyone else is messy while I'm fine, but every now and then I have a glimpse and realise, no, I'm messy too. Do you, do you, yeah? We're messy. We are in a mess. That is why we need the grace of God. And that's why uh, Zacchaeus needed the grace of God. And Jesus believed this is a moment where God's divine design is going to come to this man. So never mind the crowd. Jesus crossed the picket line and stood with this man and said, today I'm coming to your house. And like the crowd, you could have, what? It's like, what? This is just so ridiculous. It's so unexpected. And that is God's goodness. Now, I just want to wonder how... How are we honouring each person's worth above their weakness? Right? If honour is to, is to honour the person's worth above their weakness, how are we doing that? Maybe for your colleagues at work, for your spouse, for your boss. How are you standing with people? Maybe uh, your, your employees, your children, your connect group deacon, your neighbour, your parents. Who might it be that you are in a situation at the moment where you maybe see God's divine design could be played out in a situation? Where are you going to stand. Jesus stood with Zacchaeus despite the complaining crowd. How strong complaining is, how controlling complaining is, how much grumbling can govern us. But if we knew what God had in mind for us, we wouldn't be jealous of anybody else. So let's keep reminding ourselves, he has a divine design for my life as well. And that is being fulfilled. Now from Zacchaeus's point of view, he had a choice, didn't he? And he did well. I guess there was, Jesus knew in the spirit there was something softening in this hard man's heart, this cruel, very determined man who was probably willing to use a lot of manipulation, maybe threats of physical violence or other kinds of manipulation to make sure he got the money he wanted. And yet at that moment, it says he welcomed Jesus gladly. Isn't that good? He welcomed Jesus gladly. And it was a pretty bold thing Jesus was saying, wasn't it? It was like, it's the sort of thing could rile an alpha male. I'm going to stay at your house today. What do you mean you're staying at my house? I'm the one who tells people whether they're coming in my front door. You, you know, someone came up, you know, you get hawkers come to your front door, they've got a big bag and they speak with some kind of regional accent and they give you some sob story. Do you ever get these people? And if one of them came and said, uh, just marched up and said, I'm coming into your house now, I want, to, I want to suggest the wise thing to do would be to shut your door. And you'd be trying... You, uh, <laughs> you, I mean, I'm being... That's the honest truth. So someone tells you, I'm coming into your house. It's the, the kind of statement that could really rile. But of course, the thing is, Jesus is the Son of God. He can actually say stuff like that. And we've begun to find that cooperating with his rule is, is much more happy. So he welcomed Jesus with joy. You know, Father dislikes grudging obedience. Our Heavenly Father does not enjoy obedience, which is not joyful. Yes. Right? It, it's, uh, you know, I want to just say to you, you know, when you're raising children, those of you who are raising children, it's a great thing to teach your children to say thank you. But it's even more important to make them feel thankful. Yes. Right? Yes. To train attitudes and not just behaviours is incredibly important. And it can be done. Right? We can catch a child feeling grateful and explain to them that is gratitude. Right? 
this is what the feeling you've got right now because your granny's just given you 50 pounds or whatever it was you know that, that those are there there are times when a ch any child will genuinely experience gratitude catch them experiencing them tell them what it is and saying this is how you you, you, you sometimes are not very grateful when actually something good has been done for you, but this is how you should feel. So we don't just train for people's behaviour, but for their attitude. And the same is actually true if you manage people in your workplace. It isn't just actually getting them to do the thing they've been asked to do and are paid to do, but actually that they should do it with a good attitude. That is important. And... Um, uh, you know, even secular managers will recognise that's an important thing. How much more should we Christians recognise that? God is not served by miserable obedience. And, uh, you know, to say that quote again, because I think it's worth saying, it's Joyce Mayer's definition of patience. She says, patience is not the ability to wait, it's the ability to have a good attitude while you wait. Right? In other words, she's immediately addressing the issue of our attitude, because Father cares about the attitude, not just the fact that you've waited, but that you waited well. So the people, as we said, they all grumbled and muttered and um, they, they were unhappy. Um, but it's because they, just, they were not seeing that, that, that Jesus came to seek and save the lost, that, that God the Father actually has a divine design for people and he's come to bring his divine design to bear upon us to make that offer of the gospel. And so they could not possibly think that Jesus would ever want to engage with Zacchaeus, that there could ever be a divine design for Zacchaeus. But you know, there is nobody you will ever set eyes on for whom God does not have a divine design. And we need to remember that, and that includes you as well. So, um, if, uh, if we knew what God had in mind for us, well, we wouldn't be jealous of other people. We really wouldn't be. <laughs> And, of course, they were terribly insulted, as we explained last week. The town of Jericho would have definitely had a bank, an official banquet set up to welcome Jesus. Um, there's a good evidence from that in the story you listened to last week on the SoundCloud site, if you want to catch up on that. Jesus had rejected the official banquet, and then he's accepted to eat with this collaborator. I mean, the insult is, is, is huge here. So, uh, Jesus, however was willing to cross the picket line. He was willing to be defiled. And um, while well, these other people who appeared to be the insiders, they just had a massive chip on their shoulder. They, they felt they were being overlooked. And, you know, when, when Father's really getting into somebody for the, their divine design, sometimes we can feel overlooked. We can feel that we've been left out. Well, friends, he has his timing with each of us. His heart is kind. Trust him. So, time and again in the Gospels, the crowds acted as a barrier. And, um, dear God, may you help us not to be the barrier in our own day. Despite all that grumbling, Zacchaeus was able to receive his salvation. He was able to receive a new divine design for his life, which he then spoke out, didn't he, in those words. He says, I'm going to live in a completely different way now. He was just so bowled over because Jesus crossed the picket line. He was just so stunned that he would be loved in such a way that it, it, it just blew, blew away all his issues. All that hard-heartedness was just blown out of the water. And uh, he, has a, a, a new, he had a new longing that got him up in the tree that was then fulfilled, this softening of heart. 
he gets new language, okay, I'm, I'm sorting my life out, and then the lifestyle follows, okay? You get the longings right, you get the language right, you get, you'll get the lifestyle right, right? So the longings are so important, receive with joy, get the attitudes right, the longings right, then the language starts to change, then the lifestyle. You just see it. And of course, Jesus is, uh, is, is exactly the same. His longings are that people would find their divine design. His language was that today, salvation has come to this house, he was able to say. Those good words. And then his lifestyle, he was the one who crossed the picket line, who tells him, you are a son of Abraham, who restores him as in acceptance and then um, announces, look, I've come to seek and save the lost. That's what I'm about, people. Listen up. I've come to connect people with the divine design the Father has for them. That's what you're supposed to do as well. Just as Jesus was sent by the Father, Jesus said, so I am sending you, he says to his followers. So we are sent with this work. Praise God, eh? Isn't God good? <laughs>